High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, prom kings and queens, last-minute dates, oh, and you van drivers out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my house this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Did you remember to bring a date for prom? It's okay, it's okay. I figured that it would slip your memory, it's been a busy week in your life, and I'm in a very forgiving mood. You can go stag today. So, we're talking about prom night today, with special guest Mike Manzi. And guess what? We'll be talking about prom night too next week. Spoiler alert. So you have one week to get a prom date, and let's do prom properly next time. But what am I doing? I usually give your homework assignment at the end of the episode. I'm sure I'll give it again because I won't remember that I did it here, but prom night today. But how about last week? Did you like our episode on me and Earl and the dying girl with Shawnee Mead? Once again, big thank you to Shawnee for hopping on. And wow, I mean, we got a really, really, really good response on that episode. A lot of comments on Instagram, and it's just so awesome to hear from you guys. And I'm glad that movie impacted some of you the way it did. And even if it didn't, I'm glad you listened and checked it out. So did you get John Cusack to unblock us? No, you did not. That assignment is still on the board. For those of you who don't remember, I guess, John Cusack, maybe in the first, second week of this episode, blocked us on Twitter for no reason. Really, for no reason. And I don't really want to get into why right now, but trust me, it was BS. He's still blocking us. We're trying to get him to unblock us. Maybe one day. That's your extra credit assignment. Maybe for life. Who knows? (laughs) But this week, this week is prom night. But before we do our deep dive with Mike Manzi, gotta remind you, speaking of social media, I mentioned the Instagram, but follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, High School Slumber Party everywhere. I post a lot. I want to hear from you guys. I love the social media interaction. It's super, super awesome. I don't have a MySpace, but I keep telling myself I need to make a MySpace because that would be so high school. (laughs) And yeah, oh, you can email me at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. Super easy as well. And of course, you're listening to us somewhere, and that means you're either listening on Spotify, uh, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast, including the mothership, 
the home of many of our guests, Mike Manzi's podcasts. That's cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Woo! So excited to get us started today. I'm really, really, really pumped. Whoa, whoa, whoa! The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. So the best ways that you can spread the love of High School Slumber Party is by leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to us, or just giving us the five-star rating. That would be nice as well, and it's super easy. And you know what's another way I always forget to mention? Just subscribe. If you hit that subscribe button, it does so much for the algorithm and helps this show out. But my favorite way to spread the love of High School Slumber Party is by telling a friend. Tell a good buddy who you know is into nostalgia and is into high school movies that High School Slumber Party is where it's at. One of the good number now of high school teen film-related podcasts. And I'm excited about that. The movement is growing. True crime podcasts, you're on notice. Teen film podcasts, we're the next level, next generation. I don't know what I'm saying, but (laughs) I'm excited for all the, the great movie podcasts coming out. So today's going to be more like our junior prom, since we'll have like senior prom next week. So no limo, guys. Sorry. Didn't rent one. Instead, mom's just going to drive us. So pack your cummerbunds, corsages, frilly shirts, fancy shoes with tassels. Tell your mother, let's be honest, you're sleeping over Brian's. You're not going home with your date. Because we're about to get our prom party on. I leave you with the awesome, awesome disco theme to prom night. Prom night! Woo! I can't wait for all the disco. Class dismissed. question to ask you lay it on me my man will you go to the prom with me <laughs> brian i will i will go to prom with you yes <laughs> yes thank you you're welcome is that technically right it's just prom it's funny right like because i don't know i think both are acceptable maybe it's like colloquial by region mm-hmm. i've heard mm-hmm. will you go to the prom with me or will you go to prom with me i've heard both right yeah yeah huh i never thought of it though that's interesting it really didn't even occur to me until just now either like, <laughs> there's two ways to do that hmm, maybe one's canadian and one's american as this is a canadian go film. to the prom eh <laughs> but then americans are like hey go to prom with me babe <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> 
Well, again, this is a Canadian film, but it's supposed to That's take right. place in Ohio. Right, a little, a little mix there. So <laughs> we've got, we've got America, and then the hat, and yeah, and it's definitely interesting seeing like you know all American Jamie Lee Curtis, and then like her boyfriend's accent and stuff. <laughs> it's kind of charming. Now we had talked about doing this kind of almost total prom night thing for a while and the original plan was for at the very least us to tackle prom night one and prom night two in one episode of high school slumber party but i, I saw prom night one or just prom night i guess it's not called prom night one prom night <laughs> they were they didn't they didn't know they were making it two at the time <laughs> <laughs> but uh then i started watching prom night two and i'm like you know i'm not a horror guy i'd mm-hmm. never seen any of these films mm-hmm. and i'm like wow this is not like it's a sequel, yes, but it's not like an actual sequel, you know? It's almost more of like a remake in a way, like 10 years later, almost like seven years later or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so, no, I mean, we had originally planned like a mega crossover event that got way out of control. Like we, <laughs> our eyes were so much bigger than our head than uh, you know, than our stomachs, but we were going to do one and two in one episode on your show. Yeah, and then we were going to do three, and then I was even going to break format, and we were going to do three and four on one episode on my show. And yeah, I knew something was going to have to change after watching Prom Night 2. (laughs) (laughs) There's just so much to talk about that movie. It needs its own episode. Oh, absolutely. And I figured if we did it in one sitting, it would be split up into two anyway. So we'll do both, Prom Night 1 and Prom Night 2. And they'll lead into your Prom Night 3. Yes. But they're just going to be on different prom nights, I guess. Yeah, so instead of... (laughs) I guess we were planning a junior and senior prom, and now we have a sophomore, junior, senior prom. Yeah, at the very least, three proms. And, you know, if we enjoy it, we might do more down the road. Because there are more. There's four, like I mentioned, and then they remade Prom Night, I guess, like, within the last decade. Yeah. You know, with the with the new kids and stuff. Definitely something I, you know, I want to explore. But every story starts somewhere, right? And we have to start at prom night the 1980 prom night oh the one thing i read that all the films in the series apparently take place at hamilton high oh that's a nice thread yeah that's the only connection i believe like again (laughs) i've only seen prom night one and half of prom night two as of this recording so i don't know but (laughs) i guess we'll follow along as we do uh as we do this series Yeah, yeah yeah this is uh my second screening of prom night so so when was the first time you saw prom night 1980 prom night. Yeah, I guess so. Around the time Joey and I started doing Cage Club, like I was in the middle of sort of, you know, doing marathons. Like I was watching every Godzilla movie, watching every James Bond movie. And in October, I had started this thing where I was going to watch a new horror movie every day. So 31 new horror movies that I'd never seen or scary movies or something like that. Yeah. And and the list started out as like, oh, all these movies I, I missed. Like I, I feel like I had needed to see sort of like a homework assignment list, if you will. And uh, like way up on the top of that was Prom Night because I think I've seen all the other James Lee Curtis movie she had made around that time and I was missing that one so I did like a prom night one and two double feature oh okay yeah it was a blast I don't know (laughs) I mean it's not the best but like it's definitely got its moments I'll say that I'm kind of surprised because this seemed like a film that you would have seen before adulthood if you will you know I was a little surprised too, but I'll tell you what, I have seen this movie before, like, several times. This this movie, like, really, it is kind of, like, because 
you know, you admittedly, you're not very much the horror guy. I've got my own horror consultant on my show, Dan Cologne, but I'll be horror consultant for you. I don't mind. Like, this movie is very much like Carrie, you know? Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like the Brian the Palma Carrie, sort of without the the powers. But there's a lot of that going on. And then there's also quite a bit of psycho, I feel, sort of happening in here with that, like, st- or at least the stalker sort of the, the stalker killer kind of oh thing, yeah the and reveal. certainly halloween in here too right yeah and so a lot of that a lot i think because of jamie lee curtis you know and halloween was very new at the time this is sort of at the beginning of the trend of the teenage slasher 80s yeah and so that's what i mean by like i had sort of seen this movie before i had seen it <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. Like, again, I don't know as much of the horror genre as you, but this is like everything I expected in in a horror film. But my expectations were so low for this film that I ended up like enjoying it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy or maybe this is how everyone watches horror films. But like, if you watch it just in a strict genre lens and not Mm -hmm. as a film, if that makes sense, like not as like a, this film needs to be perfect kind of film, then there's these niche horrors that I really can now understand. I mean, Halloween's obviously a classic, but I think we recently did Christine on this podcast and that definitely felt more like, all right, if you take out the idea of how silly this is, you can actually have a lot of fun watching these kind of movies. Yeah, I mean, I still feel like this does okay. Like, this feels like beginner sort of entry level to me. I mean, from what I've seen at this point, you know, like been watching horror movies for 30 years, you know, because I don't think maybe even more. But like, uh, what I mean by that is like, there's not that much horror going on. Like, there's not too much gore. Like, it isn't exactly scary for a long stretch of the movie. No. Like, it starts, you know, like it starts out great and it ends terrific. But that whole sort of hour in the middle <laughs> is is like an episode of 90210. Like, it's insane how much it's just a high school movie for most of this movie. So, Mike, we've been talking, like, on various platforms a lot of wrestling lately. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it reminded me... Um, I was listening to a podcast with Eric Bischoff, who was like the WCW, you know, the guy who ran WCW for all those years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said one of the worst things about WCW was that they were not good at crafting the finishes of matches. Like, that was one of the worst things. And he said, in storytelling, in wrestling, in almost anything, a good beginning and a good ending can redeem a crappy middle. And the mm. opposite is almost never true. Like, if you have a bad beginning and a bad ending, but your middle is so well executed and amazing, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I think that's right. I think that can definitely be applied to this movie. For sure. <laughs> I mean, because it's, like, shocking how it opens with the children and the violence, and it's really, like, over the edge. And then, you know, it doesn't really come alive again until my favorite sequence we can go more in depth that that whole van sequence oh with yeah the killer in the van like that woke me up to such a degree like it's it was almost like watching um you know if you're watching like a wrestlemania and the first half isn't really doing it for you and then there's like this great match that psychs you up for the rest of the of the event and that's how i felt watching this movie it's like wow i just saw like this awesome match and then <laughs> you know the next four matches were really good too and it ended on a high note and so yeah you might be onto something there eric bishop <laughs> onto something there. 
I've been seeing this, though, like in the, the horror movies I've seen. I feel like this happens a lot where there's like a slow build, especially like of this era. There's like a slow build until the ending. Again, not all of them are like that. Mm-hmm. There are some, like you said, gore pieces and, and more slasher pieces. You know what I noticed about this one, too? There wasn't a lot of like, quote unquote, lore. Yeah, no, I, there was one thing mentioned uh, that tried to sort of build the world a little more and it was when they said like oh they arrested this guy leonard merch because he is a known child offender so he must have killed the little girl and later on you find out like he escapes from a mental hospital just like michael myers yeah. did in halloween but it's a red herring and he never did anything wrong he just got blamed and skipped town and stuff <laughs> yeah that is sort of what you were saying before about sort of its pacing and things like that, like Halloween is very much like that. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's a thriller. It's a stalker film. It borrows more from Hitchcock, believe it or not. Like, I mean, it's, it's on a much sort of more basic level, but I think that Halloween is like very tactful. It knows exactly what it's doing and it hits all the right beats. And, and this is trying to do that. It's not quite playing the song right. You know, there's too much disco. It's too fast or something. <laughs> It's too preoccupied with other stuff aside from scaring you. You know what's really funny? I mean, I, I can't confirm this because I just read, you know, certain things on Wikipedia and trivia. But some places said that the whole... I'm sorry, what was the, the character who escaped from the mental hospital's name again? I think it was Leonard Murch. Yeah, apparently the Leonard Murch storyline was added after or like late into production, certainly after Jamie Lee Curtis came on. So I'm assuming just because they wanted like a little bit of a Halloween connection. And that the original, either the original scenes or the original script called for the father, who's played by an actor who we'll talk about a little bit later. Oh, yeah. But apparently oh, yeah. there was a lot more scenes of alluding to, like, that it could be the father, and that was the red herring in the original mm-hmm. script. So I thought that yeah. was interesting that, that I read. Yeah, they try to pin it on a couple people, and even the person it turns out to be, it seems like it's not plausible for it to be him at certain <laughs> moments. Like, one moment he's committing a murder, the next moment he's just, like, dancing at the prom in the next scene. I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> like, because I had known who it was, right? So Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, I was like, oh, I was, okay. And even I was getting tripped up trying to track it through because all the boys in this movie kind of look alike. They're all like this certain type <laughs> in the eight, early 80s, right, where they have like this curly blonde hair and they're very sort of pale and tall and athletic. And I was kind of getting them confused anyway. So I think I've mentioned this on either this podcast or other podcasts I've been on. But like for the classic like 70s and 80s detective show, there were two types, right? The whodunit and the how catch them. Mm-hmm. And Halloween is a how catch them because we know it's it's Michael Myers the entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have Dr. Loomis screaming <laughs> it at us. <laughs> and this is, for some reason, they wanted to make it more of a whodunit, you know? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It is interesting. <laughs> yeah, that maybe that's why it's not working quite right. Like, because I'm, ex- I don't know, but, but I knew who did it, right? So I was trying to track if they were uh, sort of like making it mysterious enough. And, <laughs> and like I mentioned, I guess I don't feel like they really did like there seems to be a lot of plot holes and you mentioning them going back and filming more stuff makes sense because there's not really much in it you know what i'm saying like there isn't really like a lot so like i could see them needing to add more scenes of leslie nielsen sort of like wandering around the murders zone uh, the the murder scene or like leslie nielsen just like hanging out in his office pondering stuff or like leslie nielsen just like driving in his car you know what i mean <laughs> like just adding stuff to sort of beef yeah, it up a little yeah. bit well mike we've dipped our toe a little bit into prom night which which is what i wanted to 
do, but we have to backtrack a little because I got some questions. But before yeah. before I ask you some questions, you've been on my show a ton of times, Mike. Please introduce yourself in the classic high school slumber party model. Uh, don't mind if I do. <laughs> so, Mike Manzi, RHS, class of 97, go Maroons. So, here are my questions for you. Okay. We're talking about prom. It's certainly mm-hmm. prom season at the high school slumber party, and it will be on Third Times of Charm. Did you attend your Ridgewood High School prom? I did. Not only did I go to prom, I went to junior and senior prom. So our school had both. I get them confused, though. Like, I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure which were which. I know I took my friend to one of them, but I don't remember which one it was. It was the one on the boat. I'll tell you that. You had one on a boat? Yeah. So we all went um, sort of like on the, on like the river cruise, you know, like we went down, we all got bussed down to like Fort Lee and got on a boat and like it drove around for a couple hours and we partied on the boat. Like around Manhattan? Yeah. It was pretty cool. Wow. That's really awesome. Yeah. That's the one I remember the most. I'm pretty sure that that was junior prom. And senior prom, I guess I don't remember anything. I went sta- I went stag to senior prom. Oh, that's true punk, though. That's true punk. I might have been cleaned up at that point, oh, to be honest wow. with you. Yeah, because it was the end of senior year, right? So I would have probably been more in like an IZOD shirt or something <laughs> like that, or a pair of black pants or something. I don't know. Were you flowing into your DJ phase? No, not quite yet. There were still a couple years until that <laughs> happened, but and, we were getting there. And guys, if this is your first time tuning in, of course... Mike, you've been on the show a lot. You've introduced us to your high well, not literally, but, you know, into the music of your high school punk band, My Five Dads. So, guys, if you want to yes. listen back to find out more about Mike's general high school uh, experience, listen back to, wow, so many. But, I mean, what are some that you've been on? I can't even remember. There was Better Off Dead. Oh, of course, the one. original. The Class OG. of 1984. Class of 1984, you got when it. When does the dream a yeah. <laughs> become a nightmare? Love that, Alice Cooper. Yeah, I think um, between those two, you mentioned a lot of your high school experience. I know you were also on Pump the volume, but we more talked about that film. Anniversary the Apocalypse with Joey. Oh yeah, that's true too. <laughs> Although that episode was a blur too, I listened back to that because that was a triple feature day at the cinema for us, so <laughs> it was the end of a long night. No, but I, I think people will get a good sense of your high school experience from Better Off Dead and Class of 1984. I didn't prepare a song for tonight, I totally slipped my mind, so... Guess what, Mike? We're doing prom what? night too. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mary Lou. <laughs> <laughs> so you could bring one for that episode. Great. Deal. <laughs> but I do have a musical question for you. Okay. Did you guys have like a prom song? Because I know some, Not... some high schools do that. Or... If we did, I don't remember it. But here's kind of a funny story. At least I think it's funny. Uh, it might come across as like super obnoxious. But so there was a petition for senior song. They were going to play it like at the, um, like when we graduated. Oh, okay. We all got bussed to like a country club and had like a big dinner and a dance. And then they were going to play like the senior song. It was like the song of the class the class song and everything um and so my friends and i tried to just like stuff the ballot box you know and get like a song we wanted to play on it but the grade voted for i think you shook me all night long what by acdc and so one of my friends actually went to like a guidance counselor with the lyrics and was like these are inappropriate (laughs) (laughs) and he was like kind of not expecting that to work but it worked and they're like they had to re-vote and we didn't end up trying to like fix it again (laughs) or anything i think like you know the point was made and the song 
song ended up being, I think it was the Cranberries, These Are the Days. Wow. I'm, I'm not positive, but I think that's what happened. The Cranberries. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace, Dolores O'Riordan. She died oh, recently. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. That was a big album. Um, I remember, I guess my sister must listen to that a lot, but I heard that song forever. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't a disco song then? Unfortunately not, no. But, I, you know, I think I was thinking back, I can recall the first time I think I heard disco ever. Like, I think, because it's funny, because I ended up playing this song a lot, like, as kind of like a joke sometimes as a DJ. I'd play good disco, too. But I'm pretty sure the first time I ever heard disco was in the movie Ghostbusters, when Rick Moranis is sort of throwing his party for all of his accountant friends, <laughs> and they're dancing to Disco Inferno. Oh, that's great. And I always thought that was, like, the coolest song as a kid. Ted and that. Glad you could come. How you doing? Give me your coats. Everybody, this is Ted and Annette Fleming. Ted has a small carpet cleaning business in receivership. Annette's drawing a salary from a deferred bonus from two years ago. They got 15000 left on the house at 8%. So they're okay. So, does anybody want to play Parcheesi? Okay, who brought the dog? And I was always like, what is that song? What's the name of that song? What's that song? Because, like, growing up, I mostly, like, we listened to, like, rock and roll, I guess, in our house. Like, my mom grew up on the Stones and stuff, and, like, my dad listened to tons of doo-wop and early rock, and my brothers were into, like, Van Halen and everything, you know? So I heard disco in a movie, and I was like, that is crazy. <laughs> it was so weird. I have to say, I grew up in more of a disco house than a rock house. Hmm. Like, my mother certainly you know when she was a kid she listened to a lot of disco when i was like a kid there was a little bit of like a disco revival going on okay so like they used to play a lot of disco on on the radio stations like in the 90s because it was almost like a backlash a back backlash to grunge if that makes sense yeah i could see that (laughs) like an extreme one like a whiplash almost and then like dance music was getting really popular again in general Mm -hmm. You know, like Night at the Roxbury style dance music. Yeah, and tons of disco was getting, or had been getting sampled by rap and hip-hop, too. That's true, yeah. That was coming more into the forefront also. It's like, whoa, what song are they sampling? Oh, and then that song goes on to become like a hit again. And, you know, I love Saturday Night Fever. Like, I'm not a big disco guy. Same as food scene. Yes, that's very true. two pieces of pizza walking (laughs) down the street. Shout out Kyle. And a, a great New York film. A very great New York film. I very much appreciate disco some of my favorite musicians like david bowie had disco phases you know Mm -hmm. and i appreciate it i definitely know though if i was alive in the 70s i probably would have hated it i wasn't into like edm or going to the club you know Mm -hmm. and that's the same thing but back then you know it's not the same thing you know what i mean like the people who are into or i don't know what the cool genre is today but the people who were into edm and going to like edm festivals and 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 the club or whatever are the people who were into disco at that time. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I always sort of felt that way as well. Like, oh, I'm into one thing. So, uh, I mean, at least when I was younger, I'd be like, oh, I'm into, like, I'm more into rock and roll. So I'm not into, uh, you know, like dance music or whatever. And I guess that kind of followed through a lot through high school, too, when I was, like, mostly into punk. But certainly when I graduated and 
you know, started DJing and fell in love with just like every type of music. Like I just, if it was just good music, you know, that's all that mattered. Like I didn't care if it was country or disco or whatever. That's when I really discovered disco and the history and all that kind of thing and everything. But, but I always also thought that, I don't know, there's a lot of crossover. Like there was this show on HBO, I think last season that, that Kyle really liked. It was almost like the birth of disco, I guess, to a degree or, or showing it like, growing throughout the city uh or something and it was like crashing every other scene you know so like i i guess to a degree you know some people just like what they like but i don't know if i because i like some edm you know i like some dubstep like i like some of that stuff i don't know if i could just listen to that only i don't know if i could just only listen to disco either drive <laughs> but i mean it's definitely a worthy genre for sure Oh, absolutely. I think it gets shit on way too much. And, like, I guess some people don't like overly produced stuff, but certain disco albums are masterpieces. And I know what you guys out there are probably thinking. Why the hell are these guys talking about disco? (laughs) I'm wondering that, too. (laughs) You shouldn't, Mike, because in the middle of this film, it turns into more of a disco dance-off than a horror film. I know. No, I mean, more of this film is, like, Saturday Night Fever. than a proper horror movie about like prom or something like that like it's wild like imagine saturday night fever with a stalker (laughs) (laughs) but see that idea is better to me this one how can i put it it doesn't integrate the two enough like a lot of times they're not happening at the same time they are in that one ending scene and we'll get to it but i don't know do you know what it kind of feels like it feels like not that disco was over because it certainly wasn't but It just feels like, and we mentioned this is like a Canadian film, right? (laughs) So it kind of just feels like something got a little lost in translation to a degree where maybe the writers or whoever just didn't quite understand, like, kids in high school, like, aren't going to be, like, I don't even know what's going on. (laughs) Like, kids in high school, would they really be that discoed out? Like, I thought it would be more like a new wave kind of thing i mean it's because it doesn't just seem like it's a theme prom it seems like disco is like what's up at this school like that's what (laughs) struck me as weird right like like everybody's into it like it's not just for prom like it just seems like disco is so cool (laughs) we always think in this weird thing like once the clock turns to 1980 everything changes you know Mm -hmm. and like that's not how anything works things fizzle out and i guess in this suburban ohio town it's not new york Great example, right? Like Blondie, right? Like Blondie was like the bleeding out of disco into New Wave. And it was a different kind of sounding thing. Like, you can't say some Blondie songs don't sound like disco, right? No, yeah. I mean, even The Clash wrote like one or two disco sounding songs. You know, Rock the Casbah. I mean, there's a disco mix of (laughs) that somewhere. But these disco songs sound like, you know, just... (laughs) This is like Gloria Gaynor type stuff in this. This This is like, these are like clones of like, I Will Survive and... <laughs> and just like crazy boogie type things. Yeah, so I agree. It was kind of it was kind of weird. It feels out of place at times. Um, so I found the back of the VHS cover. I'll read it to you and, and tell me what you think. Cause I, you know, I do this every week. Four Hamilton High seniors have been hiding the truth of what happened to ten-year-old Robin Hammond for six long years. But someone saw what they did and is preparing for revenge. A prom night killing spree. Hooded, masked and wielding an axe, he'll stalk his prey in the dark, empty halls, striking when his victims are all alone. 
And just as the spotlight falls upon the newly crowned king and queen, the killer will show everyone what his favorite game is to play. Yeah, that's not bad. You know, to be kind of, be quite honest, like I just, it I, seems about right. I didn't really understand the what his favorite game is to play. What's the game? Killing. <laughs> also, we don't know until the end that someone witnessed the the murder. Yeah, that that's true. That kind of gives it away. <laughs> and we also never find out why he has to kill on prom night. No, it know? just seems like it fits with the movie title. <laughs> But otherwise, like, that's much better than the hacker's back of the box that you read when it was like, Joey cracks to Gibson and gets arrested, and then <laughs> some true. kid named Dade and his other friends, like, do some shit, and it's like, no, 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 like, the movie's about them. Yeah, Joey is not the main character in Hacker. And I forgot, you were on our Hacker's episode. <laughs> now, the director is named Paul Lynch. He's a British-Canadian fella. Okay. And do you know what other film he directed? I may. I need to know what the name of it is first. So it, it's a film that you've definitely seen okay. that I want to do on this podcast because it is a high school film. We just got to get the right availability, and it's going to be a read doing of one of your greatest episodes of one of your shows. Oh, you're kidding. I did a high school movie? Not not of a third time's a charm. One of your shows. Oh, okay. Do you give up? Is it Flying Dream to Believe, starring Keanu Reeves and uh, Deanna Diabo? Yep. Is that her name? Yep. <laughs> this is the same director as Flying, a.k.a. A Dream to Believe, a.k.a. Teenage oh Dream. Oh my god. That's <laughs> incredible. I like this movie so much more now. I saw that. Oh. I'm like, wow. Insane. I can't wait till we can get, you know, maybe Jordan yeah, can get no, some that- free time and, and you and, and Joey can all come on and we can talk about that film. Yeah, I mean, we might have to videotape that and like, <laughs> release it like on, you know, like, <laughs> that's going to be crazy, that discussion. Wow. <laughs> so I wasn't really too familiar with many of his other films. Maybe you guys out there will know them. I really didn't. But that was the only one that like stuck out to me. I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, he really, really wanted to do a kind of slasher horror film. And he had actually cast Eve Plum from The Brady Bunch. Oh. She plays wow. Jan in the lead role. But okay. the script got to Jamie Lee Curtis somehow. She was like, wow, I'd really love to do this. And Eve Plum got fired, unfortunately. Oh, man. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha! They brought on Jamie Lee Curtis because as soon as they brought her on, I think even one of the producers from Halloween was like, I'll give you money and produce this film. And they were yeah. able to, like, quadruple their budget or something. Wow. Well, where did that money go? No, maybe it went to <laughs> Leslie Nielsen. I don't know. Did they have, was he on board yet? I'm not sure, but, I mean, you brought his name up. Leslie Nielsen's oh, in this film. The and legend. I, I love Leslie Nielsen. I know him more for, obviously, his satire comedy films, yep. which I love. Obviously, Airplane, The Naked Gun. I think I signed up if you ever get to the Naked Gun three and three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> 33. Oh, yeah, 33. (laughs) (laughs) I know he's a serious actor as well. Mm -hmm. It is still so hard for me to see him in a film and not expect, like, a silly gag to come up. Yeah, it's weird. It's not like growing up watching Robin Williams where it's like I knew he could was capable of both, right? Like, I knew he was Mork for Mork, and then I knew he could do, like, Dead Poet Society, something like that, right? And it wasn't jarring when I would watch something that he would be serious in. Uh, but growing up with Leslie Nielsen, like I really just only knew him as, you know, Lieutenant Frank Drebs Police Squad. And he's so incredible doing that kind of stuff. But I think the reason he's so good at doing that stuff is because his deadpan comes from a history of that being a serious, you know, 
classically trained actor. And I've since gone back as an adult and watched one or two of his movies. Brian, one that I know we mentioned before on another podcast because uh, one Mr. Roddy McDowell <laughs> stars in it from class of 1984. But, you know, he was the captain in Poseidon That's Adventure. That's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> and that is like a very sort of dead serious performance. And he also plays the captain in Forbidden Planet where oh. he's the, yeah, he flies like the, he flies the UFO and he lands on the planet. <laughs> now, now that's, that is sort of, you know, it's a sci-fi film and it's a fantasy film, but it is also a hard sci-fi fantasy film. Like, it's not necessarily, I mean, kids can watch it. It's G-rated, but like, I don't know if they'd understand it. Like, it is on, it's like on a Christopher Nolan level of like mindfuckery at times. But um, yeah, he's in that too. And he's great. And I think he's just terrific and everything. And I just wish he had a lot more to do in this movie. Yeah. And again, like I said, it seemed like he was supposed to be more involved in the, like, we were supposed to think that it was him who was the killer. And I guess a lot of those scenes either got cut or never shot. I'm not sure. But that it's disappointing because it feels like he's going strong for a while. He kind of disappears for a lot, and not in and a mysterious a great, way. Yeah, no, just as in he's cut out kind of <laughs> way. Because there's like a great shot of him in the beginning where he's standing at the crime scene, and he's it looks like he's losing his mind, and he's just standing there, right? And he's just like he's just doing like some pure face acting, and I'm like, oh, like. I know he's not the killer, but if he snapped right now, it would make total sense. Like later on, like that he would have sort of this duality. I'd be like the nice teacher or the principal. Actually, he's the principal and the father for Jamie Lee Curtis and her surviving sibling, the brother. And uh, then it would kind of be cool if like they tore off the mask and it was, you know, this old guy as the slasher killer kind of thing and the principal. And I don't know. I, I just felt like that could have actually worked and been a little more shocking yeah no i agree cool. but the thing is though that like once you see and then we're skipping ahead but once you see the guy and like the ski mask and stuff and the way he moves it's really obvious it's not leslie nielsen but they don't want to stop making you think it could be <laughs> i'll tell you that much there's still like maybe it's the old guy who escaped uh, from the mental hospital leonard merch like he's got to be in his 50s by now and you see you know like you said like we see a murder scene and it's like this spry wiry type athletic <laughs> dude and then they're still on about like anyone tracked down uh, the escape mental patient yet <laughs> and it's like well the audience can tell it's definitely not like some old guy i'm not saying i agree a hundred percent or at all with this opinion but one of the critics at the time said that the killer reminded them of a, and I use quotation marks here, a Filipino Spider-Man, whatever, hmm. whatever that means. I don't know. Understand well, you know the Filipino. You part, know what his costume? Part. His his costume definitely looked like the Daredevil prototype. Like I don't know if you watched the Daredevil show. On oh Netflix yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, with, where he just wears like the black ninja stuff, um, <laughs> because that's basically what this looks like. Like it's. You know, and he's got sort of the sparkly um, mask on his face, so it's like feels a little more like a supervillain or something. You know, <laughs> it feels like part of his identity to a degree. I don't know. And I think that like identity is a good thing to say because, like, you know, usually killers have like a weapon of choice. And this guy switches between, like, shards of glass and an axe. Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, it's hard to track his, uh, his MO. Like, you know, <laughs> it's not like he's just... Right, he's got one weapon. Yeah, and, like, usually, like, when we... In these movies that I've seen, if they have a weapon, it's 
their trademark weapon and there's some kind of origin or it seems like this is how they got it or where they got it or why they have it you know yeah yeah freddy's got his knife glove jason's got his machete basically and um you know michael myers has his steak knife i guess that he always picks up from the kitchen yeah but and the shard of glass i think he should have like consistently stayed with that because that that was kind of his calling card when he was like giving it to people i don't know why he picks up the i mean i get it it's probably more effective but i don't know well the the shards of glass are more symbolic too yeah because his he saw his sister fall out of a two-story window onto a pane of glass and get half decapitated as like a seven-year-old so, so like, yeah, stick with the glass. Like, yeah, I like that a lot more. Yeah. So I didn't recognize any of these other actors in this film, so I'm not really going to go through much of the cast. I don't know, was there anyone else who you recognized at all? No, not really. Seemed like Quite a lot honest. of them were Canadian, like, unknowns. Yeah, it feels like you said, like, this This movie would have totally just been a another sort of, you know, it just probably would have gotten lost in the mix i mean it would have been seen because it's a great title for a horror movie you know like the title grabs you yeah but you know getting jamie lee curtis in there is definitely like a huge bump and it just doesn't seem like they switched much else that it was just let's let her be the star and that's what we'll change about it and we'll just send her and focus it more around her her and her character yeah yeah absolutely um just want to mention this quick 45% by the critics in Rotten Tomatoes, 34% by the audience, which I thought was a little low, but... That's a little low. I mean, I think if you're sitting down to watch this to get scared, it's not really going to work. <laughs> if you're sitting down just to have some fun and, like, goof around and, have like, watch it and have a beer or something with a friend, like, it's fun to watch like that. Yeah, exactly. I think, like, if your expectations are more... I don't want to say silliness, but, like, just not... Like you said, not to get scared, necessarily, then I think it's... It's a fun watch, like you said. So, I mean, yeah. let's get into some scenes or things you want to talk about in, in the film. Of course, we've alluded to a couple times that opening, which you and I both agree is really good. They're playing that game, I guess, in that abandoned school, which is a, it's like a really good visual. It's super creepy, too. Like, I think the movie looks really nice. It's got like that kind of soft focus filter seems to be going on like the entire time right like that's what reminded me of Carrie a lot as well like it just looks a lot like that movie the way it was shot so I really like the way it looks and a lot of like the camera movements and when it's going through those sort of hallways and you just hear the kids screaming yeah kill at each other, kill like, kill yeah, I'm gonna kill you uh, like it's really effective I was freaked out because that's another thing too it's like little kids in horror movies, you know, like, that's a total trope, right? And yeah. so I was definitely thinking, like, the bad seed right off the bat or, like, you know, other sort of, like, um, Village of the Damned or Children of the Corn, those kinds of things. So I'm like, oh, evil children. Like, <laughs> like this is not going to go well. And it certainly ends pretty much as poorly as it could. <laughs> I'm actually getting a little bit of, like, Stephen King where they sort of make this pact I like, loved that like little we're scene. We're never going to tell anybody ever, right? Like, that was powerful. We've got to get somebody quick. Are you crazy? They'll put us in jail. If we tell anyone, they'll say it's our fault. Who believed it was an accident? What if... Listen to me. We'll go home now and never, ever tell anyone. No one but us will ever know. Jude, swear? I swear. Kelly? Kelly! 
I don't want to go to jail. Swear. I swear. Nick? Nick! I'll never tell. Good. Let's go. You know what kind of disappointed me? Like, okay, so when they're kids, obviously they're all like, you know, I'm not trying to get racial, but they're all like white kids. You know, I'm not saying like they're diverse like that, but they're diverse in a sense that they all like have a different look, you know? Mm -hmm. And you, you could tell right away, oh, that's the goody two shoes girl. You know, that's the girl's a little bit rotten. And of course they grow up, but it took me a little bit to realize, oh, that was that one. That was that one. You know, I wish it was a little bit more clear cut. Mm -hmm. I think of like, yeah, it, and I know we haven't seen the newer, like the, new it part two but the original it right like we got it all at the same time and to me it was like really clear which it kids became which it adults if that makes sense and, like i think that was handled a little bit better than this because like i said i was like oh that's that one you know mm -hmm. and, and it yeah. took me a little bit to place everybody and I, I i like i said i loved when the kids are making this pact and it didn't like translate as well to when they were adults yeah, no, I think if you even watch the miniseries, it, like, they do a really good job of um, sort of matching the Yeah, sorry, that's what I meant. Like, yeah. Like the John Ritter but, guy and stuff, you know. <laughs> but I think what they tried to do in this, and I noticed it, and it still didn't really work, but they say each other's names, like, a lot, you know? Like, in that opening part, they're like, you're not going to tell anyone, right, Kelly? And it's like, no, it's like, right, Kelly, Kelly. <laughs> and it still doesn't work but for me i'm still too much of a dunce to like remember all these names throughout an entire it's like oh, dude i just remembered all these names in the in a movie yesterday i gotta remember all these names in another movie i'm, I'm gonna, just gonna forget them all tomorrow but <laughs> but you're right when they grew up i think part of it for me is just all the girls looked alike and all the guys looked yeah, alike that's like, true. Just, yeah it was just there was no real distinct sort of distinguishing style to them and they all also like didn't seem to grow up to match their personalities per se no and they're just there wasn't enough development anywhere for me to be like oh that's that one that's that that one you know yeah and all i learned eventually i figured out who like the sort of rotten one was yes like she makes herself clear but the rest were a little harder to identify eventually when you see who she ends up with you see who the kind of like nerdy one was but it's not like she's goofy looking you know like right <laughs> no they're she, they're all actually quite beautiful yeah, so, <laughs> like so, part of the problem <laughs> that's so confusing to me like oh she's the dork you know like it is really because you could have just switched parts i wouldn't have thought anything of it you know exactly <laughs> that's what they forgot to do is like yeah is shorthand them visually with like glasses or clothing or whatever because the one little boy like i was like oh okay he's gonna be sort of the sportsman when he grows up because he's wearing like a baseball hat and he's got like the coat on with the patches but no like his character doesn't like play on the baseball team or anything <laughs> like that as a as a kid you know like i was like so thrown by that yeah no absolutely and just to go back to it quickly the kids in that are so well defined as kids i guess because you know you're it's stephen king's writing behind it but as much as I like that kid scene, it just, it was so, I don't know. I, I found myself asking too many questions. And even when they're all like dying later, I don't, you tell me because you know more horror films. But, and I, when I use this in very loose terms, but when people die in horror films, I can almost see why. Not because I agree with it, but it's like, oh, 
you're saying this is bad and this is why you're killing this person. And I, mm-hmm. I know that they're trying to do that in this film, but I got confused at a couple points where like, yeah. you know, why is she dying? Kind of, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, like story-wise, they're all dying because they're responsible for the death, but you always want to sort of have, you know, like uh, another reason why, like, you know, they're having sex is probably like one of the top reasons why teens die is because premarital sex, right? That was like huge, 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 huge. Still is like more of a parody thing now. It's like, oh, you have sex in a horror film, you're going to die. But in this movie, here's what's confusing. <laughs> it's like the one girl is about to have sex and is like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to stop. And the boyfriend like storms out, right? And so like she did the right thing, you know? The, like, yeah, in the language of these films, she did the right thing. Yes, that's what I'm that's what I mean is that she managed to sort of to to get out of that situation safely and be responsible and shouldn't then turn around and get murdered. You know, like she should not be the one murdered in that scene. It should be whoever the boy was in that sequence. But then later, one of the girls who's responsible for the murder does have sex and it's like one of the most amazing like crazy kill sequences like in 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 one of these early horror movies i've ever seen it like goes out of its way to say this is sort of why they're dying is because they're fooling around in a van which so a lot of mixed messages (laughs) absolutely and i was like what and i was thinking it would have been more effective to me to reverse it like Hmm. in terms of like okay so this one definitely died because she wasn't being the virgin goody two shoes. And then you kill the virgin after. So you're like, oh shit, this person's just yeah. killing everyone, you know? Like, I think there's more effect of like that if you do it that way than the other way. Not like, oh, why'd she die? Oh, I get why this person died. You know, like it's... it's- yeah, it's tough <laughs> because it comes down to like writing and it, it falls into the same category as like pick a weapon to me where it's like, you know have a kind of clear-cut MO and sort of stick with it until you're at a point where you've fucked with the audience enough where you can then break that and, you know, then all bets are off kind of moment. And they kind of blow that right at the top, right there, where they, like, you know, kill off the most innocent one of them. You know, the one that wanted to go to the police in the beginning and the one that wanted to tell their parents and everything. Like, she shouldn't even get murdered, like, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. Like, she was bullied into, you know, as, like, a six-year-old, bullied into keeping her mouth shut. No, and that's what I'm saying. If you're going to kill her, make her, the like, the last one of them to die. Because Mm -hmm. I like the... And I know we're rewriting this film, so... And we shouldn't do that, but I like... The idea that we're sympathetic with the killer until he kills that last victim. And you're like, whoa, you know? I don't want to say sympathetic, but you know what I mean. Like, we're like, okay, I get it. Okay, I get it. Wait a minute, you know? Now all bets are off. Like, you continue to raise the stakes. Not like, start it there and then, you know what I'm saying? Well, that's the thing. It's like, like, I kind of, I don't want to say I like these kids, but like, I don't, you're right. Like, they're not doing anything in their adult life that seemingly earns them to deserve to die or anything. And, you know, like, it's great if you could fit in, like, that moral kind of stuff. But if you can't, just go with being, you know, a very clear-cut surface slasher movie without trying to say anything, you know? And then, you know, maybe by virtue of that, the audience will make something up in their own mind and, you know, then, you know, kind of create a thesis for you after the fact or something like that. But I... 
I don't know. It's tough because I don't want to rewrite this, but I just feel like it could be just tweaked here and there so well that you know if they if they did like you said like left uh, the most innocent one till last or like got the killing on a lot earlier, please. Like that's a major bone in my side here for this movie, especially since when we do get to the kills, like we only really see the one in the van, and the rest are kind of like cut away whenever they get stabbed or something like that so yeah huh it's really interesting interesting in a way of like hmm why'd they do that not interesting in a way i'm like i'm thinking about you know deep into these characters let's quickly talk about like some of i mean this isn't like a real sceney movie Uh, i do want to like set the table a little bit just to try to explain where the kid characters are today, right? Like, okay. So there's Nick was one of the guys there, and he's dating Kim. That's what I wrote down. And Kim is Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. But he was so, dating the bad girl, right? Okay. Wait a minute. So real quick. Yes. Wait a second. This you just you just triggered something of, of that. Remind. I need to talk about this. The kids who are like responsible for killing this little girl are friends. With the brother and sister of the girl they killed. Like, this, <laughs> like, is it, what, like, is it that, what did you kind of just, like, avoid? Like, wh- is that weird? That's weird to me. See, like, doesn't it feel like, when, like, children or kids enter this kind of pact? It's one of these things where they're just like, all right, we saw this shit, we did this shit. We're not going to talk about it, but we're also <laughs> not, you know, we're going to go our separate ways. That's a really good point. It would make more sense if one of them was like, became the popular kid. One of them was super uncool, you know, and they really didn't associate with each other too much. And now their yeah. lives are coming back together because of this. Not that they've yes. been consistently been a clique of killers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to blame the kids for not like telling somebody because they're kids. They made a bad decision, right? Well, no. The one kid decided for them was like, no one's saying anything. I'm, you know, I'm not getting in trouble. Okay, okay, I get that. But it doesn't, yeah. to me, it's not like a cold blood, like it would be really cold blooded if that was a group of adults doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, you don't really, f- how can I put it? You don't really feel the weight of the guilt on them in this film. No, you don't, they don't, they don't <laughs> understand why they're getting killed off. They haven't <laughs> the slightest idea what they've ever done wrong in their life for most of this movie. <laughs> Like, I could understand Jamie Lee Curtis wanting to be friends with them because she doesn't know, but the brother who saw it, and I also get to a degree, you know, you you squeeze that shit down, you just push it as far as you can and repress it for as long as possible until you become a cold-blooded killer. I get it. I get it. But, like, do you, do you, like, you can't be, like, I gotta date the sister of the girl. Like, it just, I I like your idea where it's just, like, you know, they're all sort of gone their separate ways, and then maybe they're all getting slipped these notes, and they have to come together, and it's more of, like, a breakfast club situation now, where, like, they don't know each other anymore, but they used to be, you know, sort of have, like some kind of relationship with each other. Now they're, yeah, have to deal with everyone being friends again to stop the killer. Yeah, imagine a scene, like, where one of the girls is super popular, right? God, God we're doing such rewriting. <laughs> but one of the, one of the uh, girls is super popular, right? And uh, this is happening, and the girl who's not popular gets some clue that someone might be able to get them, and the unpopular girl starts to, like 
talk to the popular girl and her popular friends are like, I didn't know you knew blah, 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 you know? Yeah. And she's like, oh, the- we, we used to be fr- friends kind of thing, you know? And then you set a little bit of tension there and you're like, oh, like, do these things. They're not that hard. We're coming up with them on the fly. <laughs> I, I wonder how they reconstructed the remake. That'll be interesting oh, if you yeah. ever get to that in a year or two, like, to see. We should, you know, sort of after that show come back and like listen to this one and see how many ideas they took of ours <laughs> <laughs> true true that's a really that's a really good point they might have all corrected it in the new one who knows but like i feel like for the time when this came out this must have been like adequate you know what i'm saying like i'm sure audiences were kind of digging it like i'm you know some of them must have really just liked disco uh, <laughs> a lot of them were there probably for jamie lee and she's great like she shines she really you know she does. jumps she off really the screen does. And it's not like the other kids are terrible. I mean, they're just Canadian. There's nothing wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to be busting on Canada so hard tonight. No. But but also also the idea if they had seen Carrie, then this would be very familiar as well. And you know, and that might be like, oh, like okay, like this movie is actually trying. It's actually trying. Like I'll give it that. You know what I'm saying? It it doesn't feel like um, like a total miss shot or you know like it missed the mark entirely there's too much disco and there's not enough kill they just don't show enough of like the result but that's also part of the era that you know you go back and you look at halloween and it's not about how gory it is it's about the building of the tension and getting the release of that after you know the the stabbings and stuff like that so it doesn't have to be about the gore but you know it's always nice to have it (laughs) i mean I guess the argument could be to the both of us, right? Like, there's that whole thing that people say that there's no more B-movies. And this is fully intended not to be a great film. It's just supposed to be an entertaining film to people. You know, in that sense... You know, it really sounds like we're shitting on this movie, but I think you and I both agree that we had fun watching it, you know? Yeah, like I said, like, it started great. And I was really into it until I realized, and this is not its fault, it's just my fault, that I realized like it was just going to be a high school movie for an hour. And like most of that actually works if my mind sort of was adjusted for it. Like I think I would have, you know, it should have been too, because I'm watching it for this show, right? So I should have first and foremost been looking at it through that lens as, okay, how much of a high school movie is this? And then where does it sort of fit in the horror stuff? And like, you could sort of take all the horror out of this and it would be sort of like this weird high school drama about prom. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. And it could kind of work like that. You know, I I didn't think about that. I wish even they focused more on that too then, you know? They made it a little bit more tension-filled rather than... Or, you know, we'll get to it again, right? Like, so Kim, Jamie Lee Curtis, is dating Nick and Nick used to date uh, Wendy, one of the other girls in the packed thing. (laughs) and it's kind of just i I don't know you know like that aspect's really weird wendy's trying to get back at nick and kim by default by dating like the the basic asshole guy in school lou and i I say asshole it's not like the jock kind of asshole it's like the what would you call a kind of guy like this oh he's like the judd nelson kind of yeah exactly exactly he's the john bender of this film (laughs) So, so Wendy ends up dating Lou, and it's clear Lou has the hots for Kim, because he's pretty, like, gross about it, right? Though, you know, he, he obviously likes all women, but I think he really, really wants Kim. And then there's the girl Jude, who's kind of, like we said, supposed to be like the 
quote-unquote loser girl, but she's just as pretty as all the other ones. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not very clear. And God, God, I love this, right? Like, so Jude does not have a date for the prom. This is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> like, this almost redeems the entire movie. It's so good. Until Slick, quote-unquote, also named Seymour, pulls up to her in his van. So 1980, by the way, this van. Yeah, it's the shaggin' wagon. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> a shout-out to Kyle, or rest in peace, Kyle Reinfried of Foodie Films and PSL Hoffman, our mutual friend, of course, is a big van guy. He had a van. It recent, Not rest in peace to him, his van recently he had to put out to pasture. But, he, you know, he drove a van for years, and I kept thinking about him almost as this guy slick, which is really unfair, <laughs> but just because he has a van. <laughs> well, well, so what's interesting about his character is he is what you would call, like, he's not exactly what you would call good-looking, you know what I'm saying, like, <laughs> classically. Like, especially compared to the other guys in this movie, like, he's a little overweight, like, short. he's got, he's short, he's got glasses, he's got funny hair. Like, they, the movie sort of dressed him up to be you know, she's all that, right? Like, yeah. the, you know, they dress him down, I should say. And he's got supreme confidence. Like, confidence you have to be born with, that, like, can't be learned. That, like, if you're lucky, someone will maybe bestow a morsel of how he was able to acquire this type of confidence because he just rolls right up to her and asks her to prom and she like totally melts for him it's insane (laughs) even before that though like i said he pulls up in a van and is like hey do you want to ride a situation that most people should probably say no thank you i'm taking the bus but she's like "Mm, okay and she gets in his his van, and then, you know, and then eventually... And this is all the same day, mind you. It's all the one day. <laughs> That's crazy. It feels like a week sometimes, <laughs> but it's all the same day. And she is, like, love-struck. She's, like, telling her friends about him. And it's great. You rarely see that now, I feel, like, in horror films and stuff, where the quote-unquote ugly guy or whatever, like, just the not as, you know, the guy who isn't the all-star, I'll just say that, right, or something, gets the girl and everything, or gets whoever, you know, like, gets the person that they want, I guess. Um, but it was great to see that in a film this old, because I did was not expecting that. Like, for you go through every one of those Friday the 13th movies up at the, that Camp Crystal Lake, and dudes like that are getting turned down in every one of those movies. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's not even like she's dating him out of pity, you know, because you've seen that sometimes, too. Like, I don't have a date, and this guy's nice, let me do it. She's, like, smitten with him. Yeah, she's found true love. <laughs> she's like, this is the one for me. Like, keep all those muscles, right? Like, keep the height, keep the blonde hair. This guy gets me. I, like, slick with the van. <laughs> and then the other two, I guess one main character is Kelly. She was in the pack group as well, and she has a, a boyfriend named Drew, who basically just wants to sleep with her, you know? Yeah. And that's that's the group. That, that's the click. That's the prom. You know, those are the prom date pairings there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's still hard to get over the fact that, like, <laughs> some of them are still friends and everything, but there they are. How about that character, and his name is escaping me, but he's, like, the school groundskeeper? Oh, groundskeeper Willie guy? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. So... Dude, they introduce him, like, totally introduce him as a red herring, but, like, that's not going to work because the guy is, like, 
trouble walking. He's got like a limp. He's got like he he's he's bent over and like all crooked and stuff. Like he can't perform any of the feats of the murderer. Well, in Scooby Doo, that would work, right? Like you take the mask oh, off, and he was like, mm. it would, "Oh, it's Groundskeeper Willie." But how is also, he limping? You know? Oh, he was yeah, faking it, it. You know? Right. That's it. I I did not. <laughs> factor in the scooby-doo there's so many scooby-doo elements right like you have yeah no because right (laughs) you have a he could totally be faking that limp yeah exactly (laughs) i know the van that is that is the that is the mystery machine holy shit (laughs) (laughs) so yeah a lot of scooby-doo in this i guess jamie lee curtis would have played a good daphne back then oh yeah live action she's totally the daphne and there's definitely like one of these guys is the fred i guess he doesn't look like him, but Seymour is, would be the Shaggy. Yeah, he'd have, Shaggy and Scooby <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> One scene that I wrote down that I just wanted to mention was the somewhat unnecessary locker room scene. Like, I know it's important because, oh, like, the yeah. shard of glass happens, but, like, did they need to be naked? You know, like... All right. No, they didn't. I agree with you. But it's it's there because, you know, it's a horror film and it ne- there's certain things that needs to sort of check off the box and there's ways to do it right and ways not to do it right. And this was just like a it felt like a basic exposition scene that could have been told anywhere and not a scene that needed to take place in the locker room unlike the movie Carrie where like it feels like that very much makes a lot of sense why that you know the opening scene in the locker room yeah so it's purely for exploitation and like titillation and all that kind of thing too it's just look if there's any chance that we could see some skin at all like you know (laughs) i get look i can't be like a host of this podcast and say that i have not seen unnecessary locker room scenes in this genre not just horror, but in high school films in general. It's something I see a lot, so I really can't say much about it, you know. I'll tell you this much, though. As, like, an older an older guy now, like, growing, you know, having aged and stuff, like, looking back at these high school movies, like, yeah, as a high school kid, like, it was cool to see naked young actors and stuff, but, like, as an old guy, it's getting kind of weird to, like, <laughs> be watching, to be watching a high school film and suddenly see, like, a 19, like, or an 18-year-old, like, getting naked i'm like i don't i'm gonna fast forward maybe through a couple of these shots (laughs) well like as sad as it is and i I do literally mean sad it's very clear that it used to be in vogue for like even guys your age and my age to be like ooh, hot 18 year old you know like hot 17 year old and like that's Mm. pretty creepy now you know no yeah like i I, yeah I, i never understood that mentality in the first place but it just also seems weird to me that they're still doing it like (laughs) they're still doing like that marketing teen movies to like adults and things like that and i don't know i i'm more along the lines of like hereditary these days and that type of horror stuff but you know there's room for everything i guess but yeah i don't i love high school films obviously i i don't mind that but i mean it is like you're saying like the older you get it's more awkward to be in a girl's locker room in high school in a movie you know (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) but i get it you know these movies are marketed for hormonal teen people so but it's funny because like they're 
I'm not saying you can't have a scene in a locker room, you know, like I, I think of even in when we just reviewed Top Gun for Cruise Club, like there's like two or three scenes where guys are just hanging out in the locker room in towels. Because, <laughs> but that's because like those dudes, those fighter pilots, like they're hot and sweaty a lot. They need to shower and they would probably have a lot of locker room conversations and things and end up spending more time than usual because it's like one of their only downtimes, you know, like they're just relaxing and stuff. So if it's necessary, okay, but it's gratuitous in this <laughs> sense. And maybe a little gratuitous in Top Gun. It, it pushes it. <laughs> um, I mean, look, that's where we kind of start to get, though, like, you know, little clues we're seeing in the girls' lockers, you know, the shards of the glass from the mirror, or like photos of the girl or photos of them. They're being hunted. Slowly, slowly, but they're being, they're being hunted. <laughs> and quietly. Yes. And like very the, quietly. The guy calls and whispers on the phone. <laughs> and that was another big creepy thing going on. Like, that actually was, I guess that's, I don't know if it goes on as much now with cell phones, but I remember, like, the 80s and 90s crank callers. Yeah, yeah. Like, you'd always hear about that, like, lewd callers. Like, who was doing that? <laughs> Just calling random numbers and like whispering into the phone and uh, i guess now like, you can honestly what? just like there's so many apps to randomly say stuff to people you know like dating <laughs> apps and stuff that you don't really have to feel the need i suppose to prank call someone and be like are you in the shower you know Ooh. <laughs> like yeah like whoever thought of the line like what are you wearing <laughs> like, where did that come from like what do you think <laughs> Oh, man. But that's who this killer is. He's the what-are-you-wearing killer, basically, is like how he starts out, calling them all up on the phone, like whispering, creep. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, we kind of just, like, get to prom, because it is all, like, the same day, right? It's a very long day, though. Like, <laughs> it feels very so, long. It feel, I, like, it was crazy to realize that it was all taking place in one day, because it feels like so much is going on. Uh, maybe that's just because there's no real kills, there's very few of those sort of phone calls, and there's very few of those clues left, and it's just, it's a lot of, like, high school politics and stuff and for a while, and I almost, I, I'm like, I know, like, things are gonna heat up, but, like, I don't know, it's not building the tension, right? It's just sort of, like, killing the time? Yeah, maybe? it's high school politics, but let's not call it, like, Mean Girls or something. We're not seeing, like, the social dynamics of the school. No, it's it's just this group of friends. And not a very, like, you know, just like, I want to go with him. That's it. I'm going to get her back, you know? Stuff I explained here in a sentence is the politics of it, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, they stretch it out because... They try. You know... They try to stretch it out. Like the one girl goes out with the asshole, and like it, it like they ha there's just scenes that need to happen. Like he has to go pick her up at the house, but he brings his two idiot friends, and they all show up. But I thought it was funny when she's like, "Where's your Where's your tux?" And he's like, "It's in the trunk." <laughs> and it actually it actually was in the trunk. Yeah. Like he shows up at prom in a suit. I was like, oh, "That's kind of." I funny. thought he was wearing jeans, but like the top. Okay, so he had like a dinner jacket. Yeah, but it, it's, he still has it, so he wasn't lying, you know. But there's a lot of just necessary scenes that seem to just fill time, you know, like getting like trying on a your prom dress and like you know going on a date or whatever. It doesn't really feel. To me, I rewatch it, I might feel differently, but on this watch, I wasn't picking up on a lot of the horror elements until the killing started happening again, like an hour into the movie. Yeah, I mean, so let's go couple by couple, and let's start with the one you said really kicked 
kicked it up a notch in the film, and that's uh, Jude and Slick. You know, they, they yeah. go to the prom together, and you don't need to get too personal about this, but did people, to your knowledge, have sex during prom? Because I always thought that was like an after-prom thing. Um... I'm trying to think. Oh, I'm. Oh, it's all coming back to me now. I remember. Okay, so we had the senior prom at the Crossroads Hotel. Oh, so did, by, we. So did like, we. Okay, so people were definitely going up and boning like in the middle of prom. Oh, Absolutely, gotcha. I feel. Well, that's uh, at a and hotel. And then, yeah, and then we all like a lot of people the next day all went down to Seaside and like someone had like bought out like the entire well like we had all paid and everyone chipped in but like our entire like senior class like bought out like one of those like crappy oh yeah sleaside it's a north that's a north (laughs) jersey tradition to go down to seaside after prom yeah and uh just like partied it out down there the next day and everything and stuff but like oh it all came back to me there in a flash so wow (laughs) the difference from the beginning of the show till now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but to me, like, I, it felt like always like an after prom thing. And they, like, you know, they get to prom. I don't want to brush over their whole disco battles <laughs> they're having here. Dude, it is dance, dance revolution. It's a good 10 minutes prom. of disco. Yeah, no, it's Saturday Night Fever. Like, it legit just turns into it's that. It's a dance-off. It's a dance-off between Kim and uh, Nick and Wendy and Lou, I guess. And Jamie Lee Curtis doing all of her own dancing, too. So. Yeah, good for her. Looks great. <laughs> super, super, super disco-y. But then they all get horny. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them get horny, and they need to have sex in different places. And that's when Seymour and Jude, one of the couples, go into the van and decide to make beautiful, beautiful love. Oh, you know, let's just go in order of kills, though, right? Because that's not the first kill. We, we said it. No, it's not. It's uh, it's Kelly and, and Drew. Basically, like, they're getting hot and heavy, and Kelly, who's, like, reluctant to give up her virginity the entire film, decides she's not comfortable doing it, and Drew gets mad. Yeah, it's... Uh, that's that's This was what I was talking about earlier, where I was like, this she shouldn't have gotten killed for this, or this should have happened, like, you know, three or four kills later, you know, the all yeah. bets are off moment. They shot their load here, I guess. <laughs> well, the one guy didn't, but uh, the movie... <laughs> Uh, and this, I was surprised that we got some nudity here yeah. too. Oh, this is what I was going to say earlier. Um, so like Joey and I are watching this Tom Hanks, we're doing the Tom Tom Club and we're doing Hanks for the Memories. And one of his earliest movies is a horror film. And it felt very much like this in the sense that it was like a beginner's horror film, almost like a, a horror film for you would rent for your younger brother, you know, like they would watch this while you went and watched, you know, like Nightmare on Elm Street part three or something like that. And as, you know, aside from the opening sequence of this movie, it's very, very tame until you see nudity, until the breasts appear, basically. And that was the, very much the same with that Tom Hanks movie, where it's like we got a, like an hour and ten minutes into that movie where it was like anyone could watch this. And then there's just a pair of boobs and <laughs> someone smoking a joint and it just kind of tanks the whole thing for, you know, my theory or whatever. But like this, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, wow, this is almost like not a PG horror movie but i think even back then there was only two ratings but like definitely on the more tame side is what i was going for yeah yeah no for sure and then like you said kelly gets murdered she's like our first kill um would you well what do you think of this kill gore wise i know what you think of it in terms of placement wise but you know compared to what we get in the van like this was not a not really i i don't know it didn't really make me jump 
um, the way the one towards the end did. Like, there's sort of more of a chase at the end yeah. um, with the one girl. But this was just very abrupt. <laughs> You know, I'll remember this night for the rest of my life. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so will I. Ah! Ah! No! No! <laughs> because... And maybe that's what they were going for. Like, you don't expect her to get killed. Like, you know, you don't expect it to happen now. So it's like, gotcha. Like, almost like a jump scare kind of thing. Um, I wish it worked. Because, like, thinking about it, I understand maybe why they did it, you know, um, as this sort of like, well, she doesn't deserve, like, oh my gosh, like, that is a shock. But, yeah, I don't know. It just felt too too quick for me. Yeah, no, I 100% agree <laughs> agree with that. Um, that's why I almost forgot to mention it, you know. It's 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 forgettable, <laughs> Be, because like you said, it really kicks up with this the van scene. So Jude and Slick are in the van, and it seems like they're making some passionate love here, right? Oh yeah. And then we that thing's a rocking. Don't go and <laughs> it's a rocking. And you know we cut to inside, and it's like the after sex, and it's kind of like sweet for lack of a better word, you know? Yeah, like. <laughs> It's very genuine. <laughs> and they're both, like, very happy. Yeah. They even say it, too. Like, I can't believe this all happened in the same day. Yeah, I know. That's what grounded me. I was like, holy shit. This is like, I can't believe this all is happening in 24 <laughs> hours. It's like they had to remind you as well. Slick goes out to pee. I think she goes out, too. And, like, oh, they're like, Let, like let's make love on the bluffs. <laughs> <laughs> on the bluff? Yeah, on the bluff. <laughs> So they go out to the bluff, whatever it is, and then I guess she hears something, and he's like, oh, I need to go inside anyway, so I, you know, like, so I can get some more weed or something. And they go back in the van, and he has that history book just full of joints. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, okay. And this is where we really see like what the killer looks like, right? Yes. Well, this is, this is the most, I think this is the most graphic killed and it really woke me up like i jumped out of my seat and like screamed it's like one of those throw the remote across the room moments because she's like you know like this has been like the best time like i'm having such a great time i you know like i'm so glad we met each other and i love you and this just couldn't get any better and then she like opens the van door or the van door opens and she falls out backwards and the killer's standing there and he decapitates her and like just stabs her in the freaking face and attacks and i was like holy shit i don't know i i jumped i thought that was super effective and then slick jumps into the driver's seat and just panics and starts driving the van like in circles (laughs) he can't figure out how to get out of the bluff or anything and and the killer's doing like his daredevil thing hanging on to the side of the van he's getting sort of kicked out of the van and then jumping back into the van like it's insane like i was i was shocked how long it was going on i mean i was very happy don't get me wrong but like i was like where is this energy coming from like who took over like who you know like was the director sick that day did someone else come in with like who was hopped up on a lot of amphetamines like i just couldn't understand like where this was coming from everything else was so tame and somewhat 
somewhat lame, uh, still enjoyable enough, you know, maybe on the slower side, but this was just like, you know, uh, they hit the NOS. And and when you say the (laughs) the van blows up, it blows up, you know? Oh, yeah. This is a fiery explosion, which I did not expect for this film, which seemed like a slow-building slasher film. So, like I said, I did Christine recently, and this was a Christine-esque fiery explosion. It wasn't as big, but it was unexpected. And it's a freaking flaming van. Like, I've never seen this before. I can honestly say that. So, I think that's Jamie Lee money right there. That's like extra Halloween (laughs) cash they got from the producer. But I wonder now if this is one of the sequences maybe they reshot it after the fact, right? Because you were saying how, like, uh, you know, they were sort of trying to do more shooting and beef it up a little bit after they finished, right? And, I don't know, like, sequences that Jamie Lee Curtis isn't in you know, seems maybe they could have been reshoots or something, because the tone of it is just so off compared to the rest of the film. I mean, I love it, but, you know, when we get to, like, the next kill, where where the girl's being chased around the whole school and stuff, like, that feels way more in line with the rest of the movie. We never get as wacky again as we get with the van sequence. No, no, we don't. But, you know, it did serve a purpose in terms of, like, perking me up and saying, let's do this, let's finish this film, you know? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I was saying earlier with, like, you know, watching, like, a wrestling pay-per-view or something where it's like, oh, man, I just went through, like, a couple rough matches, but holy shit, like, I'm watching, you know, Ricky Steamboat now, and, like, suddenly I've got all this energy to see what's happening in the next five matches. (laughs) Oh, man. So this is where the killer somehow gets an axe, right? And he must have lost his shard of glass in the exploding van, which I don't understand how he survived from either, <laughs> because that thing seems to have like gone off a cliff as well. The bluff? Yeah, it flies <laughs> off the bluff. And then, you know, we don't know this. We're not supposed to know this, but... Isn't the killer, like, at the prom in the next scene? Like, Guys out there listening, please... Let me know if this is the case. I wasn't sure if that was him or another character. <laughs> I can't keep it To straight. be honest with you. But yeah, it certainly seems like uh, this killer's also enjoying prom at the same time. I could be wrong. You could be wrong. Who knows? <laughs> I think we're right. I think we're right. And I just think the movie like thinks that it covered its bases as far as that's concerned. Because like, like, it's one of those things where if you're not supposed to know then it's okay and if you kind of go back after you find out who the killer is and think about it too much you know you're not supposed to do that really don't ruin don't ruin that little plot hole if you don't have to <laughs> it happens plenty of times also it happens a lot in like the fast and furious movies and i love them for it because to me it's kind of a sign of clever directing like if you can get away with a plot hole like more power to you hey, fair fair that's a really good point <laughs> um the next person who they go after is what's her name wendy the, the mean girl the bad girl um, yeah she doesn't end up going along with her plan so before wendy and lou can really put their plan into effect she's chased by the killer in a pretty epic chase yeah i was I was like, oh man, like she's just gonna like go into the utility closet, he's gonna open the door and stab her and it's gonna like suck, right? <laughs> but no, like they cover a lot of ground. And it got me thinking, like, as much as you may be in high school and like walk those halls and stuff, like, how well do you really know the halls of the high school? You know what I'm saying? Like if you are being chased around and need a great place to hide or you know, how much of that school do you really know very well? 
can you get lost in a high school that yeah. you're familiar with? I say, yeah, like Absolutely. it was very effective. I was this, this guy, like I, I was already awake. Like I was pretty much like ready for whatever. So I was really glad that they followed through with this cat and mouse sequence. Think of, uh, like, even The Breakfast Club, like, the chase scenes in that, believe it or not, like, it makes the high school seem so big, and it can seem so big, when there's no, like, kids, I know there are kids in there, but they're not, ki- the ki- all the kids are in the gym or whatever, so it, I thought it was awesome. I thought the auto shop that they stumble into was underutilized. I mean, we saw it in Class of 1984, like, a pro- proper <laughs> utilization for gore in an auto shop, so... That kind of, I thought, was underutilized. But it was really cool. But as we talk about this, to me, this should have been the death for the nice girl, right? Like, right. it should have been her chase here. And Wendy should have died sooner, like, in a that kind of thing. Because as much as I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, she's going to die. This is a great chase. I'm also like, she's the worst one, you know? We've already yeah. We've already seen death. So if he catches her, all right, another person dies, and it's the one we probably were rooting for to, to, to die. And again, in horror lens, not in like real life. We don't want people to die. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, w- I was surprised because like I thought Wendy should have gotten decapitated, not Lou, because Lou wasn't even there, right? Like Lou's not part of the pack. Oh, yeah, we'll and then you're right. In a minute. Well, Lou beats up. Somebody, right? He beats up the killer early in the movie. Yeah, well, we find out that's the killer, but it's not like he's responsible for, you know, the incident or anything No, and that's where we lose... He's just a bully. Yeah, that's where we lose, like, the legend aspect of this and realize, yeah, it's just a kid. I guess we could have guessed there that it was this guy, because, like, why should... You're right, why should Lou die? But that should have been Wendy's head, probably. Yeah. And then you're right, like, the other girl should have been you know, chase through the halls because Wendy's acting like the other girl, like she's all scared. Like I've figured she would have fought back more because she's yeah. more of a badass. Like yeah. she takes herself to be so tough. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Huh. But still a good, still, still like a well plotted sequence though. Like it, that, you know, has to say something for it. Yeah. Like even though it's the wrong character, <laughs> it still worked. Like if I just showed you this scene, I was like, hey, Mike, look at this scene from this movie I'm watching. Isn't this a cool scene? You'd be like, yeah, that's a really cool scene without any context. If we start to put layers yeah, and- on like, why is this person chasing this person? Then it starts to be like, oh, okay, that's a little weird. Like I'm not caring as much. You know, there's a little bit of me who's not caring as much because it's Wendy. But just from a purely in a microscope watching this scene... You're like, oh my god, you know? Yeah, and you know, I didn't even mind it. Uh, I didn't mind the conclusion, because when she gets stabbed, we don't see it, and it kind of fades to black, and it's, you know, it's doing what it was doing most of the movie, where it's not showing the kill, it's trying to be maybe a little more, uh, dare I say, like Hitchcockian, or something like that, where it's just, or leave it up to your imagination, but I actually felt that it worked at the end of that sequence. I was like, okay, bravo. Like, I'll give it to you there. Like, I didn't need to see it because the expression on her face was all was enough. Like, it said it all. Like, I thought it worked really well yeah, like, no. in that regard. No, I definitely agree. And I guess then we get to the ending sequences. Well, one, we find out, as you said, that, that the MacGuffin kind of escaped... Uh, mental patient, I guess, you know, their, their words, that he was actually caught like 50 miles from there. So <laughs> so he's definitely not. And the cop who was like stalking the prom was like, all right, I can go home. <laughs> and Leslie Nielsen totally didn't do it either. So we don't have to worry about him. Yeah. You know, I think he, he, he's accounted for, he's got an alibi that's all, all, you know, tidy and everything. So 
Yeah, and then, you know, Lou, like, takes the place of Jamie Lee Curtis's boyfriend, uh, and it's gonna, like, I guess the plan is that she's gonna be crowned queen, and then he'll come out and get crowned king and plant, like, a big wet one on her, and she'll have to be his boyfriend then, or I'm not sure, that seems like the whole plan. Or maybe him and Wendy were planning to walk out and get crowned king and queen, but for whatever reason, we're stuck watching... Lou just kind of hanging out backstage waiting <laughs> for king and queen to be announced and uh the killer thinks it's the what's his name Jamie Lee Curtis's boyfriend right like the guy who was supposed to be the one he's supposed to kill the boy who was actually there uh that killed his sister so he inadvertently chops off the wrong dude's head <laughs> like that's crazy <laughs> like he accidentally decapitates the wrong guy because he doesn't even bother to check he just sees some dude sitting there standing there and swings for the for the head and lops it off and it goes like rolling down the runway and everybody in school gasps and like goes crazy and starts like running out of there yeah uh, and then like the killer jumps on stage and goes after not jamie lee curtis but the other guy the the boy she's with you know and that's sort of i guess part of a tell too is like oh why isn't he killing jamie lee curtis we find out oh yeah that's true it's her brother and once she sees his eyes you can tell like she knows exactly who it is yes so i thought that was cool so apparently there's a deleted scene that revealed that they're twins oh okay that's why they're both wearing striped shirts in the opening yeah when they're younger yeah and and it seems like when he takes his mask off it looks like he's wearing makeup so i felt like they cut out a whole plot line where he's like psychically channeling his dead sister's soul through him or something like that and that's like a whole kind of psycho thing with norman and mother mm, and true the, that's true you know that whole kind of thing but it seems like that got all cut out if it was yeah there movie. are zero supernatural elements in this film okay right like i mean you didn't notice any no 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 absolutely yeah you're right well i didn't know if it would have been a hundred percent supernatural but it just like the idea that he believes he's his dead sister oh fair yeah when he's doing the killing or something that would be a little bit more interesting you know <laughs> uh <laughs> So I guess what did you think of this ending? The killer is revealed to be the brother, and, you know, it's obvious because he witnessed the death. There's a reasoning right there. And it kind of just... He dies, right? Or no? I'm so lost. <laughs> is this, Does he get killed? Is this a situation where we're going to have to read Wikipedia live on the air to find out what happens at the end of the movie? Do you movie? remember? Does, um, does Alex the killer die? So from what I can recall, the movie ends where Jamie Lee is, like, cradling her brother... In, in her arms, and it just pans out, and that's the end of the movie? Like, it cuts the credits? Because he's dying, though, right? Oh, that's right. Wait, he gets shot because he's walking out, like, <laughs> he misses the guy, and Jamie Lee Curtis, like, 
is like, stop that or whatever. And he like cowers from them, right? He like runs away. All of a sudden, he's like not a killer anymore. Yeah, runs okay, outside, okay. And the cops are there and they're like, don't move. We're going to shoot. And I believe he gets shot and she like cradles him in her arms when he's dying. And then we cut to credits. Yeah, and it kind of just abruptly goes to credits. You know, I like when these horror movies have a little bit of, like, a coda afterwards. Mm. Of, like, how are we going to recover kind of thing. You know, like, oh my god. I guess it's brief because Jamie Lee Curtis has now lost her other sibling. See, yeah. Now, you know, what's her mental state going to be now? <laughs> She's, like, lost these two siblings years apart, but in incredibly tragic events. Like, one would think the sequel would be about her character or something like that, or maybe her child or something. But I kind of like when horror movies or any movie, actually, I don't I mean, not every movie, but I I enjoy a sharp ending, I guess, or like a, a where it feels like it's just cut off, like it's very abrupt like that, where it's just like, what are we going to do now? Credits, like no time to answer, like get out of the theater, <laughs> like you're going to have to ponder this on the ride home or something, you know, where it's just we're left with the crime scene and uh we don't we we don't get to uh resolve anything else like we just have to you know we have to have our conversation about hey it would have been nice fodder for a sequel right (laughs) there is a sequel but doesn't follow this though again it's the same high school apparently (laughs) it's a very interesting sequel when we get to it though because i do feel like it's partially a remake like they were executing ideas they had in here but they're going much further with them like there's less like they're they're choosing less of them and they're going a lot further with them and they're sort of like committing a little bit better I think, in part two. Well, Mike, I haven't done my research yet, but we'll find out next week if that is indeed the case. And then the week after that. (laughs) And then the week after that. (laughs) And who knows, maybe we'll just, you and I will just turn into a prom night podcast. (laughs) Are there any prom-themed wrestling personalities out there? It's like, it depicts too young, but I'd like to see like a, you know, like a... I guess it's too young. A ruffled prom tuxedo kind of thing. There's a a lot of like party animals though. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's definitely like a stock character. There's no like principal character in in wrestling, is there? (laughs) Wrestling? There was a teacher character in the WWF once, Dean Douglas. No kidding. Who is the wrestler Shane Douglas. It was very brief. It didn't last long, but I used to like it even as a kid because Dean Douglas Douglas used to do these like vignettes where he used to scratch the chalkboard, but he used to have the tapes of someone's matches and and kind of point out like what they were doing wrong. And a couple times he would come oh. to the ring with like a notebook, you know, and <laughs> like and that. like take notes. <laughs> I thought it would have been good, but it didn't really take off. So, you know, every week we do a couple things, right? We got to rate this film. Like, what what scale should we rate it on? Oh, man. Disco balls? <laughs> is there a disco ball in the film, though, or is it just disco music? Oh, there's got to be. Uh, you know what, though? I don't remember seeing that, like, cascade that you get yeah. when light hits a disco ball. I'm surprised. I don't know that for all of the fucking disco in this movie, is there no damn ball? That's insane. That That's the craziest thing about this movie. Yeah, wow. Huh. So we can't do disco balls. Okay, okay. Uh, maybe mm. the van, something with the van. Yeah. I like how he loses his glasses. Or he doesn't lose them, but he just like, <laughs> I don't have my glasses. Oh, the God. Remember this <laughs> line when, uh, you know, when Slick walks out of the van and she's like, oh, the stars look great tonight. And he goes, oh, is that what that is? I, I, didn't, I couldn't tell because I didn't have my glasses. I don't care how blurry they are. I wear glasses. You don't know that the lights in the sky are stars, you idiot. <laughs> 
I thought he was being sarcastic, and then he said the line about his glasses, and my head just like... <laughs> I, I've never cocked my head sharper than when that happened. I was like, wait, what? We could do that. We could do blurry stars. Blurry stars, lost glasses. I mean, like, I don't want to do shards of glass, you know? like We could do that, too. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Guest choice. Okay, then. How many, how, many shards, how many shards of murderous glass are you going to give this movie? Okay, so how many shards of murderous okay. glass will um, you give this You know... Film? I I rated this on Letterboxd. I only gave it two stars. Now I like it more than that, to be honest with you. Like I think, like it's not great. Like I don't. I think there's a lot. Like I said, there's a lot of better horror movies, and this is a this is very much like a lot of other horror movies that are out there. But there's something like kind of charming. It's got its own thing going with the disco, with slick. With um, Jamie Lee, you got freaking Leslie Nielsen for no re- for for literally no reason. <laughs> like he's here for no reason. So like just because of that stuff, like I think I'm gonna have to bump it up and give it three. I think I'm giving it three now. Three I don't what? know if it three necessarily what? deserves three murderous shards of Thank glass, you. but I'm giving it to it tonight. I'm giving nice. it nice. I mean, I, I'm not against that. I, I'm giving it. Two shards, murderous shards of glass, and a half murderous shard of glass. Okay. So two and a half, which is right in the middle. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like not worth seeing, especially if you like horror. I think it's pretty fun and interesting and cool, and I had a blast talking about it. I don't think we struggled talking about this film at all. But it's certainly not something like like Halloween. And again, I'm not a horror guy, and not because I don't like them. I just haven't been exposed to them a lot. I say that a million times, but it's true. But Halloween, I watched that and I was like, wow, you know, like, this is a cool film. This is not as good as Halloween. Oh, no, no, no. This isn't really in the same league. Like, this is this is an emulation, you know? Like, this is a copy of a copy. And, and for a photocopy, like, it's good, you know what I'm saying? Like, there are, down the line, there's horror movies that try to do stuff like this, like, you know, sort of catch the wave of what's popular at the moment and, you know, riff off that and do it a hell of a lot worse, you know, I'm telling you. So, yeah, I, I, you know, like I said, like, it's got, it's, it's got a little bit of charm. There's more than I expected the second time around, but, you know, well, God, wait until we get to next week, because <laughs> holy crap, we're really going to be pumping it up a level. <laughs> we're really going to be cranking it up. Uh, <laughs> you know, seven years later, like styles changed, attitudes changed, so many things have changed between 1980 and 1987, and the next prom night, I can't wait. <laughs> okay, so what prom night sleeping bag will you bring? If you're using your sleeping bag on prom night, you probably didn't get lucky, Mike, but <laughs> <laughs> what prom night sleeping bag? Then I'm not bringing one, hint, hint. No. <laughs> um... Yeah, that's a good question. I um, I would bring my disco prom prom night sleeping bag, but it's not very comfortable because it's got all those like you know reflective glass shards on the outside, like polyester, probably. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's see. I want to try and you know what I think. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna bring my slick brand sleeping bag, and it's sort of like modeled after his van where it's got like a shag sort of carpeted inside (laughs) and 
the outside has like those cool 80s electric racing stripes that were on it or whatever. Not racing stripes per se, but you know, like no, I know you're talking van about. stripes yeah. that he had on it. Like, <laughs> so it's going to look a lot like Slick's mobile and it's going to be big enough for two people, you know, because that's how Slick would have it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I really like that. That's a freaking sleeping bag that I would buy. <laughs> Couldn't you see that, like, modeled after a line of those, like, shagging wagons? Yeah. Like, just, just the design? Because, like, as, you know, as questionable as the people who drive those things are, I certainly just always thought they looked, you know, cool from the outside and never wanted to get on the inside of one of those. But, you know, and hey. I feel like those show up in a lot of 80s horror movies, too. So, you know, it's a nice staple. And they clearly get the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, well, you'll be back next week to talk about Prom Night 2 as we kind of enter Prom Night Month. And then, again, on that show, you can more plug your third time's a charm. We've been plugging it the whole time. You could still yeah. I mean, you could still mention it if you want, but it is Prom Night 3 coming up. And you can talk about maybe your prom experiences on the next episode, because I think we skipped over them tonight. Uh, we can. There, honestly, there's not much to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we then it'll be a short segment. But well, I mean, yeah. What a bad tease. My prom well, also involved fiery van explosions. Whoa. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, I was going to say, no expectations, but you know, now <laughs> no. that you're... I'll tell you, I will say this, that uh, people were throwing deck chairs off of that boat at my junior prom all night long. Oh. Like, they thought it was hilarious, I'm telling you. Big thank you to Mike Manzi. I hope you like the sound of his voice, because we have him on next week. Speaking of next week, and I mentioned it before, it's prom again. This will be your senior prom. Not really, because it's our freshman year, and I know the theme is just going out the window, but whatever. We're doing prom again next week, as we're going to be talking about Hello, Mary Lou, prom night two. She took the keys to my Cadillac car, jumped in my keys, Have you seen Mary Lou? she drove apart. She went behind the stage with Cooper. All right, that's it for Mary Lou Maloney, the 1957 Hamilton High Prom Queen. Never mind the stupid just give me the crown. This year, someone special is coming back to Hamilton High for prom night. Mary Lou Maloney. Mary Lou! She's been dead for 30 years. Now she's going to use Vicky's body to get her crown back. Good morning, prom queen. Only nominated, not the winners. Not yet. Mary Lou has come back. Vicky. Wrong. You came with me. She will enter your body and possess you. See you later, alligator. On revenge. Queen Hopeful bites the big one. Cracking up? I don't know what's happening to me. She's dead. Dad, you know something about this, don't you? They're playing our song. Hello, Mary Lou. Prom night two. Oh, the terrible slut shaming in that film.
but can't wait to bring Mike Manzi back to the prom to talk about it. And that gives you guys one week to get these prom dates lined up, and we're going to really, really do it right next week, I promise. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Subscribe, rate, review, do all those things, tell a friend, and check out all the other great shows in the Cage Club Podcast Network, including Mike Manzi's show, Third Time's a Charm, whatever's going on at Tom Tom Club this week, Hanks or Cruz, they're both great, and all the other, other great things. Oh, including the other show I host with the foodie films man himself, Kyle Reinfried. P.S. I love Hoffman, the Philip Super Hoffman podcast. We're doing awesome things on there, too, so you definitely want to check that out. You know what? I was thinking about it, and I'm like, Brian, Brian, don't do it. Don't do it again. But I can't get this song out of my head. I'm going to play it again. The disco theme to Prom Night. Prom Night! Later, dudes.